0: right at home go to pretty and use code spotify for 20 percent off your first order and a free cat toy terms and conditions apply see site for details
1: death by incarceration presents in association with crawlspace media injustice a new wrongful conviction podcast with a focus on advocacy Emmanuel Rios and Angel Rodriguez are each serving life sentences for the 1987 murder of Sean Nelson, despite the existence of evidence that could have cleared them had it not been withheld at their trial. Now that our production team has obtained that previously lost evidence, will it be enough to write an injustice of more than 30 years? It's crazy because there's a confession. <laughs> there's a confession. He did confess. It's recorded, it's on a tape. Injustice. Roger King died August 24th, 2016, after what was hopefully a long, painful battle with metastatic kidney cancer. Now, Lisa doesn't want me to say any of this, but I hope that he died alone. I hope that he experienced at least a fraction of the pain that he inflicted on countless young men, guilty of nothing more than being a product of their environment. Young, poor, surrounded by, and and pardon my sometimes flair for the dramatic, but atrocities. Traumatized people traumatize people. We've talked about the Badlands, about Kensington, about 8th and Butler. These kids from a marginalized community turn to selling drugs and yes, sometimes violence and sometimes even murder. We are not the sum of our worst mistakes. And just because you were a drug dealer, even if you were a quote millionaire drug lord as June was painted by Roger King. If you didn't commit a murder, guess what? You shouldn't be in prison for murder. This is episode 4 of Injustice. I'm Spencer Daniels with me as always the incomparable Lisa Spees. Lisa has the hardest job here, trying to make sure I don't say something stupid. Uh, Lisa, how's that working out for us?
2: I actually greatly appreciate that you feel intense emotion about these cases. The pain can cause, and the pain of June, Spanky, and their loved ones are still experiencing. I like the range that we present.
1: Yeah. Well, and I mean, and we're cruising right through this thing. We're, we're on the back half of this story. How do you think it's going?
2: I think the case is coming together for our listeners. There's quite a bit more information to be discussed, but I hope that it's becoming clear that June and Spanky did not receive a fair trial and that there was misconduct running throughout the entirety of this case. I would also like to add that this episode on Roger King is a personal one for me. I'm friends with a man named Jimmy Dennis who had 25 years of his life stolen when he was wrongfully convicted and sentenced to death at the hands of King. I have very strong opinions because I've worked as an advocate on several of King's cases. His pattern of misconduct goes back decades. On to the show. So we've got to know the men in episode one and started to lay out the case against them. Episode two, we discussed the confession. In three, we added witness statements, testimony, and physical evidence. For episode four, we're going to focus on the prosecuting district attorney, Roger King.
1: Yeah, so Roger King can be described uh, one of two ways. Uh, There are stories that describe him as a dogged and competitive lawyer who just loved the law. Uh, Young attorneys would flock to the courthouse just to watch him work. And he was a fucking rock star in the eyes of these young upstart attorneys. I tried to think of an adequate analogy here. And the best I could come up with is this. It's like a young guitarist. Someone who's taken a few lessons can hammer out three, maybe four chords if there's an acoustic guitar at a party. They learn to play Cocaine by Eric Clapton, which is basically just three chords, maybe four. It's like that person going to see Eric Clapton play live. Like, sure, the man is a legend, obviously, but he's also kind of a piece of shit. These young lawyers were in awe of this towering man, and he wasn't just physically towering. Though he was, at six foot two, former Division I football player in college, Roger King played safety for the University of Southern California in the mid to late 60s. But more than just physically towering, his personality made him even larger. He was a son of a Baptist minister and also the cousin of Martin Luther King.
2: Maybe that's where he inherited his penchant for taking the jury to church. King used his background and theatrics to gin up the jury with emotion, ignoring, misrepresenting, or withholding evidence along the way. I read a book called The Trial Lawyers Art Profiling King, and the author said that King's behavior in the courtroom was a performance from beginning to end. That is common. I do believe King was much better at it than most, perhaps because of his background. When trial lawyers speak in their public role as agents of the court system, they espouse official rhetoric about truth and justice. The problem is that King lacked morals and ethics when doing so.
1: Yeah, I mean, Roger King was a a win-at-all-cost prosecutor who tried criminal cases and oftentimes even pursued the death penalty despite having no physical evidence and other times ignoring or withholding evidence that would have exonerated the defendant, as we have in our case. Now, there's an article I read recently that that quotes a Philadelphia appeals lawyer who is the executive director of the Death Penalty Information Center and knows about these things. And he said in regards to King, quote, In the 80s and 90s, prosecutors were falling all over each other to prove who was the toughest and hardest on crime. Problem was, those who were the toughest and hardest on crime were actually toughest and hardest on the Constitution, end quote. I read a a profile on King himself where he talked about the frustration that was experienced by the fact that more guilty people go free on technicalities than innocent people get convicted. So to combat that, King may have taken it upon himself to go so far as to rig cases. Something that just came up on our, our previous episode is when Brooke Holmes, Romance MacArthur's girlfriend at the time, straight up told us that investigators had coerced her to change the timeline of her version of events the night Sean's murder. While former officers have gone on record to implicate King in the exact same behavior, which is unconscionable that a prosecutor would do that. I mean, cops too, don't get me wrong, but an assistant district attorney should not be instructing people to lie on the stand. Now, least what do we know about Dirty cops, uh, either specific to this case or generally in Philadelphia?
2: Well, recently, I believe it was last year, an entire list of compromised officer was published online. Um, So it would list out the officers that were involved in misconduct and specific instances of where they committed this misconduct. In this case specifically, you just discussed that Brooke Holmes was pressured to change her timeline of the events occurring before and after Sean Nelson's murder. And that detective's name was Detective King. I think it's an officer that we'll be hearing about in a later case as well.
1: So during his time as prosecutor, King was personally responsible for 20% of the death sentences in Philadelphia. 16 death penalty convictions I believe is the number. But he had an unhealthy obsession with that record. And whenever he won a capital conviction case, he would put a picture of the person on the wall of his office with the word death written on it. Now, that very well may be the case with other prosecutors. Maybe they all have the word death written on top of pictures of the people they intend to kill. You know who else does that? Fucking serial killers. When King retired from law... In 2008, those 16 death penalty convictions were a record. I don't know what the record is now. It's gross, and honestly, I don't want to know that name, so I didn't look it up. Google it. Roger King was problematic in so many ways, his name just keeps coming up. For our listeners, we are already working on Season 2, still in Philadelphia, still with Roger King. He bent the rules at every opportunity. Now, to date... Thanks in large part to people like current district attorney of Philadelphia, Larry Krasner, at least seven of the murder convictions have been overturned. The reasons why are not consistent. I mean, whether it's improper statements made in court, uh, exculpatory evidence hidden, uh, witnesses were definitely threatened with jail time, uh, intimidation. I've heard and read about benefits, you know, uh, paying informants without disclosing it. There's no telling how many more cases are going to be overturned, because some of them are still being argued in appellate courts. Hopefully, June and Spanky's case will make its way back in front of a judge one day soon. There's no telling how many more may come, and there's no telling how many people died in prison. Innocent. And if they themselves didn't die, countless numbers of them had to sit helplessly in prison as mothers, fathers, grandparents... People they loved passed away without ever having had the opportunity to say goodbye. Now, that hurts my heart. I mean, it happened to both June and Spanky. They lost loved ones. They have spent nearly 33 years in prison for a crime that they 100% did not do.
2: I'd like to stop you there and mention a man by the name of Frederick Thomas. Roger King prosecuted his case in 1995 and sent him to death row. Mr. Thomas was convicted on shaky eyewitness testimony and without any physical evidence. Years later, both witnesses recanted their testimony and police officer James Ryan, whom the defense had said framed Thomas, was convicted on corruption charges from conduct in other cases. In May of 2002, Mr. Thomas was granted a new trial. In October of 2002, Mr. Thomas died of end-stage liver disease out-of-control diabetes and hepatitis C. While Mr. Thomas wasn't executed, Roger King, police officer James Ryan, and a corrupt legal system took his life.
1: Oh, good point. See? That's why she's the best. Now, we've mentioned it repeatedly. They did bad stuff. Sold trucks. Hal June admitted his role in another murder. Another murder that was also committed by Romance MacArthur, by the way. A third-degree murder charge. As you heard June explain, the only reason Sean Nelson's murder is a life sentence and that he's still in prison is because of that third-degree charge. The Nelson case notwithstanding, June has already done his time and then some for that prior charge. So no matter how you look at it, they should both be out of prison. So how did he do it? How did Roger King convince a jury to lock these guys away? He put on one hell of a show like only Roger King could. A theatrical performance befitting of Broadway. Hell, he practically blamed June and Spanky for the deterioration of the educational system in America before he was done. And that's just one of the questionable tactics he used. And one of the first post-trial filings presented to the court laid out no less than five instances where King crossed the line into questionable behavior. Lisa... Your thoughts and feelings regarding Roger King.
2: I feel like Roger King is my nemesis. The acts he committed against June, Spanky, and many others were evil. He did not care that he allowed actual murderers to walk the streets while innocent men went to prison. He did not care about his ethical obligations as an assistant district attorney I actually lay awake at night trying to figure out how to undo his bad acts. And that won't change until the innocents he knowingly and intentionally wrongfully convicted are free.
1: Okay, so the American Bar Association is pretty clear about rules. One of those rules states that a prosecutor cannot in any way mislead the jury. They can't, for instance, make up evidence. that's, That's the crux of this rule. There is case law that states that if something isn't in the evidence, you can't mention it. So when Roger King very deliberately told the jury that a bullet had been recovered from the back of the van because a gun ejects bullets to the right, that was a lie. To be clear, what he should have said was shell casing. That's what gets ejected from the side of a gun, but King wasn't going to get bogged down with specifics here. But the point remains, he should not have mentioned it at all. King also told the jury that as part of his plea deal for two third-degree murder charges and for testifying against Rios and Rodriguez, Romance would be getting a sentence of 20 to 40 years, plus an additional 14 years on top of that from the feds. The federal case he's referring to was a big-time cocaine ring in Philadelphia in which he participated by transporting kilos between New York and Philadelphia. and that's not Jermaine to the case we are covering even though the cocaine ring is associated with the blue tape gang and June and Spanky and nobody is arguing for guilt or innocence on that the sentencing for MacArthur actually was anywhere from probation yes probation to that combined the sentence should not exceed a minimum of 20 years and a maximum of 40 there was no deal with the feds Judge Latrone the judge in the case, who is problematic in his own right, could let romance off. So for King to convince a jury that it's possible, and I'm sure he leaned in on this, the 20 to 40 plus 14, that romance MacArthur could be in prison for 54 years. Now, you put yourself in the shoes of a jury. Them thinking he won't get out of prison until he's in his 70s is far different from them knowing he could possibly get out with merely probation. Now that unduly prejudices them by affecting his credibility. If they think he has little to lose by testifying, they're going to believe what he says much more than if they know he could walk on two murders and a federal drug charge.
2: Roger King, like, I'm going to put it, he was one of the dirtiest prosecutors down there. And the minute you found out that you had Roger King You knew you was in trouble. Then if they put you in front of, like, Judge Sable, Judge Latrone, these judges, you knew you ain't had a chance. You had to take a jury.
1: We'll be back. We know from a number of different sources, including Charles Peruto, that Roger King was fully aware of the existence of a tape wherein romance had confessed to this murder. Now, whether or not he believed the tape existed, which I personally believe he did, it should still have created some doubt as to the credibility of Romance MacArthur. But you wouldn't know that by listening to the picture Roger King painted of MacArthur. listen, this goes back to all those pesky rules and case law. I have a couple of excerpts to read before going into King's argument. Commonwealth v. Cherry states that a prosecutor should not be allowed an excess of zeal... Or conviction, or a fancy for exaggerated rhetoric to carry beyond the permissible limits of argument. Exaggerated rhetoric is kind of Roger King's thing. Uh, Berger v. United States. A prosecutor must be free to present his arguments with logical force and vigor, but while he may strike hard blows, he is not at liberty to strike foul ones. Commonwealth v. Thompson. Says a prosecutor may not insulate an otherwise improper remark merely by prefacing it with the words I submit to
0: you now here is King's argument I submit to you ladies and gentlemen Oof, off to a bad start Roger I submit to you ladies and gentlemen Romance MacArthur was not shaken on cross examination did he remain strong I would say so He then goes on, in no uncertain terms, to tell the jury to believe
1: MacArthur, quote, He said over and over in his statements, he said before you who is responsible, believe it. If you don't, let them walk out. No one can do anything else. Now that's a lot to put on a jury. This next one is a longer quote, but I think it's worth repeating for a couple of reasons. In his closing argument, King says... And
0: what did he get paid with? A bullet in his head. And he got that bullet because he was out of line. Obviously, speaking about Nelson here. He violated the ghetto code, or in this case, the barrio code. Once upon a time, ladies and gentlemen, it was once said, and people made fun of it, and certain players would say, baseball has been very good to me. We have paraphrased that onto these facts. Baseball was good to me, but cocaine is better. It pays quicker. I don't have to sweat. All I have to do is trade on the misery of others. Where to begin? First of all, when I read this file and got to this section,
1: I did a double take. Did he just quote this? (laughs) Big boy being very, very good to me. That, that is from, in case you don't know, Saturday Night Live. He went from an SNL sketch to trading on the misery of others. Re- remember that whole exaggerated rhetoric thing? Part of the problem with his statement here, aside from not attributing that quote to Garrett Morris, is that there, there was no barrio code June and Spanky were living by. His intent here is to demonstrate that they live in a world different than the regular folk of the jury, but they somehow deserve what they got because they are bad people. They've done bad things and deserve to be punished. It's also highly questionable that he would so needlessly lean so hard on their ethnicity. Ario code. It's completely improper to place focus on their race, which it really seems like he was doing there. if you think toxic political rhetoric and divisiveness is new or unique you need only look where king blames liberal society for this crime and all crime generally
0: mr macarthur came to you ladies and gentlemen and i often wonder why nothing works nothing works ladies and gentlemen and everything is broken the educational system is broken the law enforcement system Is broken it needs a fix I saw you and you looked at romance MacArthur I know one person's dream is another person's nightmare this whole case is about the tragedy that we find ourselves in we find ourselves in a position where the city is going broke did you ever think that that could happen We find ourselves in a position wherein we never thought that Radio City Music Hall and the Sears Tower would be owned by a foreign interest. And we are selling everything else. We are selling what was supposed to be a legacy. We have sold our future because we have forgotten our past. And we forget our past any time that a kid can become more inspired to read about mobsters and pizza connections. Why can't Johnny read? We got to stop blaming Johnny and start talking about this case. Okay. Wow. Lots to unpack.
1: First of all, like I said at the beginning, he's blaming the t- deterioration of the educational system on June and Spanky and law enforcement for some reason. The, the fatalistic attitude of everything is broken, and the only way to fix it is by convicting the two defendants convincing them that there is some kind of poetic justice being delivered, and only they can do it. Now, for the record, the pizza connection is a reference to a Sicilian mafia ring in the 80s that was running out of pizza restaurants. Like, over a billion dollars' worth of heroin and cocaine was moved through these places. There must have been something that came up during the trial relating this case that I don't remember seeing in the transcripts. It was around the same time. But you see what he's doing. He's placing them in the upper echelon of an organized crime ring... like America had never seen. He's painting them with such a broad brush... he's linked them to a billion-dollar drug enterprise. Again, trying to sway the jury... that rather than objective, intellectually compelled determination of guilt... he's using fear and intimidation... and some sort of sense of vengeance. And the whole thing about Sears Tower and Radio City... Good lord. You can't all of a sudden make this case about the whole of societal problems and try to secure a verdict based on that. Roger King knew all this. He just didn't care. There is no way to know for sure whether, as some have suggested, that King and Peruto in any way conspired. And it's definitely within the realm of possibility, knowing everything else we know about King. Peruto, for his part, wouldn't admit to anything, I will tell you that when King got Peruto on the stand, he didn't hold back and he really tried to undermine his credibility. Now, I'll quote a short exchange from his cross examination King, and you got the job done so well that you lost the tape. Peruto, it is embarrassing, but I lost the tape. Now, King badgers him a bit. Why didn't you keep the tape? Peruto, I did keep it. King, where is it? Peruto, If I knew where the tape was, I would bring it. I don't want to see anyone get convicted because I lost the tape.
0: And in King's closing arguments, he says this. You saw him. Evidently he disappeared in the defense's mind. Just like the tape disappeared from a superstar lawyer, young Chucky Jr. I don't know what happened to it. Damn
1: Roger, why you gotta do Chucky like that? So post-conviction work in Philadelphia, it is not easy but it sure allows you to narrow the focus if you see Roger King's name at the top of that file. Hell, just look for prosecutorial misconduct and it's likely there. Roger King and rules didn't so much get along. It's almost like with each case, he'd push the limits to see where the line was and then he would cross it. When at any cost and sometimes, too many times, the cost was an innocent person's freedom. The entire DA's office was like that in those days. Between King and District Attorney Lynn Abraham, who is another corrupt piece of shit, it's surprising anyone ever got a fair trial in Philadelphia. And look, the deck was stacked in his favor all the way around. Now, not only did he bend, break, the rules to align with his narrative, but oftentimes he was up against, and look, I mean no disrespect to public defenders here, but overworked, underpaid, frankly, just outclassed court-appointed lawyers. And yet, not once was King ever disciplined. On the contrary, he he was lauded. Here's something that stands out as a representation of the dichotomous nature of King. His bosses hailed him as the best prosecutor they had especially for the high-profile capital cases that he relished. despite any accolades he may have garnered, there was a party in the park the day he died. He loved the city of Philadelphia, but the people despised him. Uh, And it should be noted, for all his bluster, for as proud as he was of his death penalty record, for all those names on all those pictures on his wall, not a single person that King prosecuted was ever actually put to death. If there's a silver lining, there you go. It would be a Herculean effort for which the resources and manpower required are simply not available. But, knowing what we know, for true justice to be served in the city of Philadelphia, which also includes the next case we'll be working on, it goes without saying that Roger King's entire case history needs to be audited. June and Spanky are innocent. How many more stories we don't even know about? How many more innocent people are behind bars, alone, slowly dying because of the cancer that is Roger King?
2: Now our call to action for this week is a fundraiser to benefit June and Spanky. We've set up a fundraising campaign to help pay for professional resources to help them fight their case. The funds will be split equally between the two men. Please know that no donation is too small when fighting a wrongful conviction case like this. Check our show notes and social media accounts to find the link to donate.
1: Episode four of our first season of Injustice is in the books, you guys. That's right, first season. Now, at the conclusion of this story, we will move on to another case pretty much right away. And we'll give you all the information when that time comes, so be on the lookout. We haven't looked ahead here too much because we don't want to take any of the focus off of this case right now. That's it. That's the show. Thanks for listening. Bye. The Injustice Podcast is brought to you in association with Death by Incarceration. Thank you to crawlspace Media. Sound Design, Audio Post Production, Jason Usry. Special thanks for original music to Binaldo Rivaldi. Check out all his great stuff on iTunes and Spotify, Bandcamp, wherever you get your music. Please support independent artists. Right now is a a real tough time for creatives. Go to InjusticePod.com for more information, including one of the great podcasts we are listening to. You can also find information to contact the hosts directly there. General inquiries can go to info at InjusticePod.com. Thank you for listening. This has been an Injustice Production.
0: This is a Blast Box Media Podcast.